when you're looking at someone, quite often, you, especially when you're young, you do what they do, not what they say. You model their behavior. Welcome to Unsung Leaders, a weekly showcase of behind-the-scenes innovators who you may not be familiar with. These are team players who create workable solutions for society. People who do great things without needing to steal the spotlight. So come on, society, let's set down our selfie sticks and achieve great things. Together. Think about it. Isn't it our caring gestures that create our strongest relationships? Today, we'll be talking to a great practitioner of this, our longtime friend, John Weiser. You know, Bill, John, who is now the president of First Run Production at Sony Pictures Television, identifies talent, then develops, produces, and sells new show content over a number of media platforms. But what sets John apart is his focus on others' needs as a way to bring in the big business. He is a three-tool guy. A three-tool guy, wow. That's hard to get. Yeah, that is And he sells it to all platforms. That's right. John is a people person extraordinaire. You're in for a treat as John doses us with a conversational magic that's only his. And John knows magic, by the way, so he can do that I didn't as well. know that about him. Really? Yes. Wow. Well, here's John Weiser. So, um, according to John, and John, you can confirm or deny <laughs> this, uh, we get talented people's ideas made and in front of television audiences. Is that correct? I can confirm that's, that's the truth, yes. Terrific. And you're, you're at Sony and you're doing your thing over there and spreading the word. What's, what's, um, what's one of the main things uh, that you like about your job? What I really love about my job is the opportunity to work with really smart people in a collaborative way. You know, we all uh, get the opportunity to meet really smart people in our life and don't have the opportunity or blessing to be able to really tap those people's minds and work with them toward a common goal. And I can, uh, in this position, I can leverage their IQ, work collaboratively with them, and with new product and ideas and talent constantly in the entertainment space, there is a consistent learning curve that keeps me fully engaged and leaning in. It's never a uh, passive business. You've got to be active all the time. Even when you get a show on the air, that show constantly evolves with the audience tastes uh, and desires. By the way, John, during the uh, answering of that question, Bill pulled out a tissue and started crying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do something a little different here because I, I don't want to go too far in this interview. Uh, without capturing who John really is. Uh-oh. So I Uh-oh. met John. Uh-oh. So I Uh-oh. came from Philadelphia <clears throat> 25 years ago or so. And John was one of the first people I met. Uh, I thought I had boundless energy and and uh, pretty decent view of the world. And then I met my match with John. And I think what was interesting was I thought getting into gym at 5 a.m. when it opened uh, was a big deal. What I didn't realize, John either had the key or found a way to sneak in, so he was already in there. So we were certainly kindred <laughs> spirits that way. But I, I want to get the true essence of John before we go too far down. Sure, great. And as much as I think John's an amazing leader, he is equally amazing as a salesperson, and no one knew how to close a deal like John. So somewhere in the early years, uh, I was at a very, I was very interested going with John at Bakersfield because Buck Owens owned a TV station there. 
And I loved Hee Haw. Believe it or not, Bill, sorry. Hee Haw. Anyway, I love Buck Owens. I said to John, do you mind if I go? He goes, no, let's go. Or, you know, we'll drive up the grapevine and blah, blah, blah. Wait, are you mocking him? Are you imitating no, I'm John, John right now? No, John has a very distinct voice. John anyway, Weiser. So oh, I'm, I'm all good We with go and meet, with, her name was Dorothy, right, John? Buck's Yes, sister? Dorothy Owens. Right. Dorothy Owens, and we and met with Buck. Little little thing, I, I love Buck Owens. He had a custom blue jacket on uh, with pockets that had tin foil on the sides. Because he liked to put potato chips in his pockets. John, am I telling the truth? This is a very accurate description. And so that was interesting. The other thing John warned me is he liked sometimes to take meetings while sitting in the hot tub in his office. Fortunately, (laughs) that didn't happen this time. But John did, pulled off one of the greatest sales of all time, which I'm going to let John tell what he did. When he sold designing woman women to Buck Owens and John, I'll let you take it from there. Like, which you did something which I it just blew my mind. So tell the story. Oh well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> so what happened was when uh, we were having uh, a challenge selling the show in Bakersfield, and Buck had a rule that when you pitched him, anytime you went into pitch. Uh, Buck Owens' show, he'd have his sister there, Dorothy, as Steve mentioned, and the call letters on the station were KDOB-TV, which stood for Dorothy Owens Broadcasting. So he gave his sister this TV station, but uh, Mel, his nephew, and Buck would work with Dorothy to make it the best possible situation. And Buck's rule was that whenever he was uh, bored listening to your sales pitch, you would put his hand up like his palm to your face, like stop and point to the door. And you had to get up and leave the room at that time. Or you really weren't welcome back in the station for about six months because you would leave the room. They would discuss it amongst their family and then call you back in and say yes or no. So I had been up on a, on a few times to, uh, Bakersfield and I got the hand and I left the room and it was no, no, no. They just had absolutely no interest in buying the show. And I recognized the sales approach we were taking wasn't working. So uh, fortunately, I'm in an airplane uh, and I'm reading the National Enquirer. And every month. I think you stole it from me, but go ahead. Uh, they, uh, I might have, yes. Uh, because you read the National Enquirer, Steve? Absolutely, in the Globe. Go ahead, um, John. It's the best news source out there. So uh, we fake news. Uh, the uh, so I was reading, and in the back they always have celebrity recipe of the month. And that month, uh, in a in the world of there's no coincidences, it was Buck Owens' favorite banana pudding pie. That's pudding with an N, not a G. And I'm sitting on the airplane, and I go, I got it. So I take the recipe that's in there for banana pudding pie, fax it up to fax. That's what we used to do. Fax it up to a bakery in Bakersfield and had them make that exact pie, that recipe. So I call up uh, Buck's office and his assistant Leanne answers. And I said, you know, what I'd like to do when I come in for the meeting, I have a surprise for Buck and Dorothy. What I'd like to do, um, can I come in a little bit early and just put something in the refrigerator for them to enjoy later? She's like, great. So get up there, put it in. The meeting starts and Buck and Dorothy and Mel are sitting there. And 
uh, I go through the pitch. The hand goes up to leave the room halfway through because I was pitching the same show again, and I got the hand a little early. And as I'm standing up, I said, look, I know it could cost me you know, a long time before I'm welcome back to talk through the hand, but I just want you to know when you're deciding uh, what's going to happen now and my fate, I just want you to be doing that when you're enjoying and I turn around and put the pie down with plates out and forks and knives, a piece of banana pudding pie. And as sure as we're on this podcast together, tears welled up in Dorothy's eyes and she said, with a quivering lip, that's not the banana pudding pie mama used to make for our birthdays, is it? And I said, oh, Dorothy, it's one and the same. That moment, Buck turned to Dorothy and said, buy everything he's got. <laughs> and we sold out of every show that was missing in Bakersfield at that time. And what it uh, ultimately it ended up being, you know, one of these sales where we went in for a small amount of money. We had targeted what we were looking for and ended up with a tremendous sale. And it was really a greater lesson in thinking about it and reversed engineering uh, the sales process, which was I wasn't aware I, or I wasn't paying attention to what was really important to Buck and to Dorothy and to Mel. And it was so obvious that it surprised me that I had to learn it in hindsight. Because when you walk into that television station and the call letters, it was an old movie theater that they had purchased and turned into a TV station. And on the huge marquee out front, it's KDOB, Dorothy Owens Broadcast. And when I went in to pitch them, it was their family, the the most important thing to Mel and to Dorothy and to Buck was that I cared about their family, that I cared about their well-being and their happiness more than I cared about the business. That was first and foremost, it was on the sign on the door that we're a family first company. So by going in, not about the business we wanted to get done, but really tap into what their needs and desires were to fulfill them was that I cared about them and I brought them a piece of mom's pie. And that literally unlocked a relationship that sustained itself uh, right long time. To, yeah, for a really long time. And right after that, Buck said, hey, that guy you were with before, Steve, does he like to golf? And I said, absolutely. And he said, why don't you come up? And, and it, we went out golfing on his private golf course. And, you know, uh, it just it really changed the dynamic of the relationship. And the key to it was understanding always uh, in sales what's important to the person on the other side of the desk. What do they care about? What's important? Because you can always get your needs met if you meet the needs of others first. So really putting people first. John, you've given me the perfect segue. So one of the big, big figures in your life is your dad, Hal. And... How Wiser is a larger-than-life human being who has a lot of the traits from uh, that John certainly has. Like, growing up as a kid, like, what was it your dad did, or how did he influence your way where you thought, my God, this world of sales and leadership or whatever is something I'd like to get into? Like, what lesson did you learn from him early on? Uh, it was a lot of lessons, because that is, you know, one of my, uh, between him uh, and my mother, uh, my two primary role models uh, in life. So my father, as a huge influence, uh, as it relates to when you're looking at someone, quite often you, especially when you're young, you do what they 
do, not what they say. You model their behavior. Uh, my father, who had his own company as an entrepreneur, a toy company. Uh, what did he invent, John? Uh, he had uh, some pretty cool toys. My favorite was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Uh, what was the other one, which was my favorite? Rubik's Cube. Didn't he do the Fonzie doll? He did the Fonzie doll. The Fonz is cool. He's not a square. He lifts his thumbs up in the air. He's the Fonz. So he had, he had the Fonzie doll where you pull the <laughs> string out the back. And the thumbs go up. It was very good and timely right. now that Henry Winkler has just won the Emmy. After I just saw, that's what made years. me think of it yesterday, right? Yes. Right. And, right. you know, it's interesting. We, we're talking about positivity and uh, listening and hearing and understanding people. And uh, I don't know if you guys uh, have met Henry. Um, I had the pleasure to uh, meet Henry Winkler. And he is another one of those guys that's just such a nice individual. Could not be nicer. Such a nice guy. Could not be nicer and yes. more giving to every person he meets with no filter on the rank in the system. I met him when I was young, uh, and it was just unbelievable how open and helpful and mentoring he wanted to be to anybody he was coming into contact with. Well, plus your dad had made the Fonzie doll, so he had to like you. It, right? it was something. Yeah, it didn't hurt. Uh, and so you were on to something good there about your father and mother said it's what people do, not what they say. Well, yeah, that was my, the learnings was modeling behavior. And my dad is an entrepreneur and starting his own company and building it up. That can only happen when you're collaborative with people you work with and care about them and really uh, find common goals. And you learn that, and you learn this through sports as well, which Steve can really speak to being an accomplished athlete is, uh, Teamwork is how you get much further in life than individual efforts just going down a particular path. So I've always recognized uh, from a young age that no one is as smart as everyone. And especially now that there's a spotlight on diversity and inclusion. And I think those the big lesson from all of that is that People see things differently because they have different perspectives and uh, different preset thoughts or biases about the way things should be. And by including everybody and by trying to find out what others are thinking, you can really go a long way because you meet less and less resistance along the way when you have a 360-degree view of how your team is interacting with reaching a goal together. And my father you know, built up his toy company and uh, sold it, retired at a young age. Uh, and even in that process, watching him, um, the way he sold his company and took care of all the employees in it during the sale and how he engages with people after business has always been uh, one of the great blessings I've received is to have somebody to look at uh, along with other mentors, including Steve, uh, when I can watch them and learn from them and ask them questions. And it's so much about being connected to people because right now we're living in a time where we've never been more connected. You know, you, you can see the top of everyone's head 90% of the time because they're in their phone or on their screen. So we're living in a time when we've never been more connected, yet people feel less connected than ever. And it's because of this technological overload that you get access to all this information that you really don't, we're not equipped. We haven't built muscles mentally on how to process it all. So 
it's really good to put your phone down and connect with people. Be collaborative. Find out what they're thinking because that's how you're really going to make progress because everything on your phone is incoming. And a lot of times that incoming is better to be heard from people than from technology. It's really interesting that you you make that point, John, because um, so often, and I think the the uh, the story that drives us home is the Buck Owens story. Um, you heard them and understood them, and because you communicated that through pudding pie, they got it and you got it, and all of a sudden you were friends. Um, and with the problem with technology, uh, it's not technology that's the problem, by the way. It's how we're using technology. Uh, technology can be a wonderful resource uh, to help the world, but it's how we use it. We use it to our, distract ourselves. And so often when our brains take over uh, our behavior, then we don't take the time to slow down because brains like to crunch data and do it quickly. So the key, though, in what I teach a lot of my executives that come and see me is to, to turn the phone off. Completely agree. Completely agree. And in fact, on when my wife are, and I are going out on social engagements or on the weekends, uh, especially, I do the unthinkable. I leave my phone in the car um, or at home so I can completely be present because it's a really different experience. It's very liberating, actually, to not be Pavlovianly tied to uh, when your phone buzzes, looking down and disengaging from people. Because it also builds a short attention span muscle, which does not serve you in the world of connecting with people, which is, as you said, being in the moment, breathing through it, and really connecting. And the less we're connected with people, the more we're in our heads, and then we, we notice that we're not connected, and then it goes into the how am I doing, right? How am I doing, how am I doing, versus how am I contributing? Uh, and so the how am I doing, then all of a sudden it's easy to perceive life like one big audition and one big test. And then you start having anxiety and stress it adds to that. And before long, you're having panic attacks. Right. And I think a lot of that from my observation, not clinically, but uh, anecdotally is that, you know, your brain is hardwired naturally for ever. It's hardwired to search for danger, to protect yourself. And when you go into isolation mode, you're not as safe. People, similar to dogs or pack animals. So the more you're around people and feeling like you're part of a group uh, where you can predict behaviors and their safety and numbers, not that you can't be an individual, but the more you're connected to people, the more it feels stable and the more grounded you feel. Uh, and the more isolated you feel, the less connected you are, thus the less foundationally stable you are. So that connection is really important to mental health uh, on so many different levels and spiritual health and just uh, how you feel about other people. When you're connected to them, you feel great. When you're isolated, it's a vastly different experience. You know, one of the things we talked about in the earlier podcast was that, uh, you know, sign of a great leader is someone that gets everybody lined up to go in the same direction but also it allows people to really do things that they themselves didn't believe that they could actually do. And you and I have experienced a couple of styles of leadership. Uh, we won't mention names. 
uh, where in the past where you feel like you're so frightened. Are you guys talking about me? No. no. <laughs> but I, but you, know I the, know, you know, I know who we're talking, talking about, about too. Right? <laughs> Come to work every day. You're scared to death. You're afraid to fail. And you work out of this fear that, oh, my God, I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be beaten down. You know, nothing's ever good enough. And that, and that your motivation to do well is based on that versus someone who's supportive, who is constantly there to challenge you, but at the same time giving you positive feedback. And by the way, both styles work because I will tell you that having worked for people that were really difficult, there's a part of me that became better uh, because of that, where I didn't, you know, and I, and I'm thinking of some people, John, you and I've worked for or dealt with over the years. Uh, and then there are people like the nice people sometimes slip a little bit because the people that work for them feel like, Oh, they're, you know, they're a little soft. They're not. So I, there's a difference between being a nice guy and a doormat. Well, I've always said you can still be tough and be a nice guy. There you go. Talk about as someone that works for somebody in that, in, in that spot, like how it affects you and, and what, you know, how it affects the way you think and your ability to do your job. That's oh, a great question, Steve. And you're right. Uh, there are different styles, vastly different styles on the spectrum of how to treat people uh, in a leadership role. And you can still get to the same place. There's just, you know, there's a lot of roads uh, to that destination. And, I have my own style that comes more naturally to me that I feel is organically me. And that is to uh, really try to support and ask questions that let people lead to their own conclusions. Like when you read, uh, there's a couple of uh, books out there that I've read on the law specifically about, because I'm fascinated with being, you know, like kind of a natural salesperson about trial lawyers and how they work juries and how they get them to get to a conclusion. And one of the threads that runs through all of these books in terms of convincing a jury is give them the facts. And if the jury draws their conclusion from those facts, you know, he was in the room, he had a gun, there's fingerprints on the gun. He has blood spratter on him. What do you conclude jury? The jury goes, well, of course he killed him. If you, scream at that jury and say, you know, how dumb do you have to be to recognize he killed him? And here are the facts that support it. The jury isn't making their decision. They're deciding if your decision is right. So when you apply that to leadership, are you telling people what to do and hold them accountable for it is a really tough thing that I've experienced where someone says, you've got to do it this way. And I'm going to hold you responsible for the result. Well, if you're going to hold me responsible for the behavior you're dictating, I think that's a, you know, a little crazy. And in the world of work, uh, there are all types of leaders. Think of it as cross-training. And I completely agree with Steve that when you cross-train with different leaders, you actually pick up different skills along the way, and it makes you a better leader for your style. Uh, but in the world of being true to yourself and finding out what's your style to lead people. So in many ways, the different leadership styles that I've experienced in my career uh, have been all the influences that make me who I am. It's not, or get, you know, just on my own, this is how it's, 
learning from other people. I don't know why this story just crossed my mind, John, but I remember the time where I, I used to have to go through every deal with this person. <laughs> and none of them were ever good enough. But one in particular, John had a deal which was like terrible, but the best one we were going to get. So I put it at the bottom of the pile. I'm sitting across from him. So when you say a terrible deal, it wasn't, you were syndicating a product for not syndicating a lot of money? Syndicating a show. It was, the market. money wasn't great. The okay. deal wasn't great. But it was the only deal we were going to get, period. So I remember going through this stack of deals and rah, 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 I hear all this stuff. I finally get to this one. I handed it to him. I said, this is the deal in Boise or whatever it was. Um, I said, give that back to me. You know what? I'm not going to take that deal because it's such a bad deal. And even though it's the only deal we'll ever get in that market, I'm drawing the line. I'm not going to take it. And he goes, let me see it. And I said, give it back. I said, I'm not taking it. I'm going to rip it. He goes, you know what? We'll take it. It's fine. It's a little reverse right. psychology. Oh, okay. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is you have to read the room and you have to yes. understand the style the person is operating under and then match that. They say good communicators always consider their audience, right? So if I'm uh, using eloquent speech and I'm talking to a third grader, I'm not very effective, right? Uh, so it's about matching and understanding. And back to the Buck Henry story, appealing... Buck to, Owens. Buck, I'm sorry. And Buck, Buck Henry Owens. was a great writer at <laughs> Guess Mark. That's right. Buck Owens, about uh, medium where they're at, right? If you're a person, if you work for somebody and you adapt your style the way that you think that leader wants, you're never going to get the best out of your people. Because you'll be, you like, if I said to John, you be this way all the time, I would never get the best of John because John's smart on so many levels. Like, I want to hear what he has to say. Right. So you having a leader that's approachable and open to hearing different points of view or different styles of doing things, if you don't allow that to happen, you've missed the boat in getting the best out of the people that work for you. Oh, just when you're pushed into doing a certain, you know, doing it this way and then being held accountable, it is, it's a, it's a frustrated process because it comes down to the uh, most pedestrian form of work exchange you have with a company or with management, which is time for money. I'll work for you. You tell me what to do. I'll implement it where I feel a much more evolved exchange uh, instead of time for money is autonomy for accountability. Like I, I, like Steve says, I want to know what the folks working with me are thinking. Otherwise, why are they working with me? I have to be interested in their point of view. It may not always jive with where I'm coming from, and I may override that after listening to them. And that's the privilege of you know being uh, a leader on a team. But being inclusive and finding out what people are thinking is the greatest way to have as many thoughts on the table as possible. And then almost, you know, as a chef would tell you, go into your pantry and pick the best ingredients available to you for the recipe you're trying to make. But you want to know what those ingredients or those ideas are to be able to pull from. Otherwise, I only know what I know. And I, that sounds like a, you know, a self-indulgent statement. But what I'm keenly aware of is I don't know what everyone else in the room is thinking. And everyone's in that room because they've earned a chair. So you've got to listen to your teammates. You've got to listen to the folks that you work with if you want to 
make the best possible. So what I'm hearing is possible. there are many ingredients to make a pudding pie. There are many ingredients to making a pudding pie, but it, it goes back to what you said, Bill, is um, really understanding who's on the other side of the table and being aware of them because it was so obvious in hindsight that business for Buck was all right. about family, not about the dots and spots of the facts, but about the emotional connection. That was the key to unlocking that relationship. But the only way that works is if you have a leader that's open to listening and dealing with these different personalities and different points of view. I worked for both of you, but being on the other side, when you guys listened to my points of view, it created a loyalty. I was fiercely loyal to both of you. So it kind of creates this almost safety net of people working together and looking at the product uh, and being our best selves. Right. Right. So you don't have to police us because we want to uh, impress you. We want you to be proud of us because you validate us. Right. Well, for what it's worth, Bill, uh, you did really impress me the entire work experience we had together. And that's why we're still friends. Yes. Yeah, so, well, thank you for saying that. I really, <laughs> I really appreciate that. So that's why you took my call. By the way, John, yes. <laughs> Bill, Bill made reference to the fact when he came to work for us uh, at Sony that he was just this kid, new kid on the block or this kid. I go, Bill, I always thought you were older than me. Like, what, what, how can you refer to yourself? Oh, stop, man. I'm a much younger I'm man. Kidding. Don't you know I, I was impressed because you were like, you were so many things. Like, you were going to school, you're paying your way through school, you were an actor, you were, you could, I yeah, mean, yeah. Bill, you, I don't know if you know this, remember, you made this thing for the kids, this blue soldier, uh -huh. which still sits in our living room. Oh, that's cool. That's and cool. you could oh, draw. Steve. So, what? Steve, I've got to jump in there because Bill also painted a picture of my son, Zach, when he was a baby that still is on my wall right outside yeah. of Zach's bedroom. So every day Zach comes in and out of his room when he lived at home. That was the photo he saw. So, Bill, you have made a talk about really getting into each other's lives. You have made uh, a real impression. <laughs> <laughs> that's, funny. That, that's why but, I love John Weiser. Bill, I, I'm going to put a little John button Weiser. on this and say this because yes. I know John feels the same way. The sign of a great leader, which you're kind of suggesting here, is that the, the thought process is that you don't work for us. We work for you, meaning we give you the tools to do your job as best you can in order to contribute to the team. Right. That's a that flips leadership upside down. Right. But I think is the correct way of looking at it. Right. Because if all you're doing is trying to please me, yes, the business will fail. Right. If I do things to help you do your job better and do that to everybody in the team, and John did that, unbeatable. And that that abundance creates this uh, uh, self-esteem growth in an individual, then then allows them to go spread their wings, which is kind of what I did. I worked my way through school and then got my master's in clinical psychology. And I remember you bought me my suit for graduation because I couldn't afford it. Um, and you know, can I have it back, by the way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to fit you, and I don't mean that to it be derogatory. Won't. But uh, for yeah, those man. who don't know me, I'm in pretty good shape. So no, you're you're better. you're looking good for 75. That's, uh, <laughs> Anyway, well, John, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Always an honor. Uh, and you're, again, one of the most positive people, I think, 
uh, out there and uh, keep uh, turning on the light bulb and spreading spreading the light because uh, you're, you're making a difference. Oh, I so appreciate the time with both of you. You're two of my favorite people of the world. So to be included in this uh, first guest podcast, is it really is an honor uh, and just a larger privilege being connected to both of you in my life because you make it better. So thank you very much. Johnny, we love you and have a great rest of your day. We'll talk soon. I'm giving you a Fonzie. Uh, hey. Hey. Thumbs up. Hey. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> this has been Unsung Leaders. If you want to uh, nominate your own guest, somebody that uh, has made a difference in your life and community and is a team player, uh, please let us know by logging on to our website. That's www dot unsungleaders.com and let us know and maybe uh, we'll uh, be interviewing you or somebody in your life that you find is a team player uh, this is Bill Benson for uh, me and Steve Mosco uh, have a happy day